Good morning and welcome to today's podcast where we are talking to Yvonne Caputo. Yvonne has been a storyteller her whole life, once as a teacher, then psychotherapist. Eventually, she became a corporate trainer and a consultant. She has used stories to um, widen the eyes of her students and influence them and also soften the pain in the hearts of her clients. Ultimately, her writing led her to a journey with two books, Flying with Dad and Dying with Dad. Welcome, Yvonne, to the podcast. Hi, Yvonne. Thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast today. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Could you start off by maybe telling us where you are in the world? I was actually on your website or the website for your publisher, and I noticed that I think we live in the same place. Oh, okay. I am in a little tiny town called Pennsburg, Pennsylvania, which is 45 miles northwest of Philadelphia. Okay. I'm about 45 miles south of Philadelphia in a town near Kennett Square, if you're familiar okay. with that. Yeah. So we're very close. It's funny. So could you start by sharing a little bit of your backstory? What led you to where you are today in your life and in your work? And um, just give us a little bit of your history. Well, um, at the time I graduated from college, there were two careers available for women, nursing and teaching. And I decided on education. And so I started out as a teacher. Um, in the process of doing that, I took children to England for an exchange visit and we were together 24 seven. And through homesickness, they kind of fell apart. Some of them kind of fell apart. And I felt absolutely incapable of dealing with the emotional issues. So I went back and got the second master's degree in clinical psychology and um, did some part-time therapy, but met uh, this wonderful man and moved to this part of the state and couldn't find a teaching position. So having the master's in clinical uh, psych led to a job as an employee assistance counselor and trainer. So I was doing therapy and then management training at the same time. And doing this for a particular retirement community, their then boss called me on the phone one day and said, uh, my human resource manager is retiring. Would you be any interested in the position? And I thought, you know what? Here's a real challenge. Can I put my money where my mouth is and help to change an organization from internally so I was doing that for 17 years. And when I, in the process, in my last years there, I had this in, enormously incredible conversation with my father. And this was in 2008. And he opened up and told me this funny, quirky, off the wall story about being in World War II. And at the time, my father and I's relationship was distant. I knew he loved me, I knew he cared about me, but to talk about really meaningful kinds of things, it didn't happen between us. 
Well, when he told me this one story the next week, I said to him, if you're willing, start at the beginning. And story after story after story came rolling off his tongue and that distant father went away. And, and here's this man who is just opening up to his daughter with all of these life stories that I had never heard before. And in the midst of doing this, I'm looking at the material that I have, having taken notes, and I thought, you know what? I just might have a book. Hmm. And then I started to do some research and I found lots of books about D-Day and Eisenhower and the, the big battles and, and the major players. But I didn't really see anything that had the twist that I had. And that's this ordinary man who, by the way, never would have had to have gone because he repaired the airplanes that young learning pilots in dad's words busted up. So I just decided that at some point this would be a book. And it was when I retired that I really could put the focus on what I had. So 11 years after my retirement, Flying with Dad was published. So you've had quite a varied career from education to psychologist, or was it psychologist or psychiatrist? How would you have um, classified that work? Psychologist. Psychologist to then author, right? So it just goes to show that you can do anything at any point in your life that you want to do. And um, when you shared some information about the stories from your father, I, it really brought me back to my own grandfather who was also a very distant relationship. And, but we completely bonded over his childhood stories. He wasn't in any wars, but um, his, his stories were just so crazy and off the wall and funny um, that I, it really brought me back to thinking about that. And it, it makes me wish that I had actually put them all down on paper as well, because I'm also a writer. Um, so we do have some things in common with the writing and I'm, I've been a teacher for 20 years as well. Can you share a little bit about um, your work in teaching? What grade did you teach? And, and was there something that you found most challenging or most fulfilling about that work? I loved it all. And I started out in elementary, second grade, fifth grade. Um, I ended up for a while seventh grade English. And then I was asked by the district if I would be interested in teaching gifted kids. Mm -hmm. And it was right at the beginning of Pennsylvania's adding gifted to its special education platform. Mm -hmm. And I said yes, because of something my mother said to me, you have an opportunity to influence those who may be the big decision makers in the future. And that's what did it. And so I spent the last 12 years in gifted education. And I love that equally. Um, and what the district allowed me to do, and here's where the two degrees came into to play, is the way we had the program set up. My job was to teach creativity, and affective education. Hmm. And so I had an opportunity to work with these kids on their whole emotional side, 
Who were they? What did they feel? How did they behave? What made them different? Um, what made them alike? And I even created a curriculum for the middle school kids on what it means to be gifted because they had some struggles in terms of how the world saw them. So that's how the education piece rolled out. Okay, really nice. Um, and then with the, the shift into a different type of career with your move, uh, can you talk a little bit about the work that you did in psychology as well and, and how part of, I'm sure the skills in education were something you could bring to that work too? The woman who interviewed me for the employee assistance program asked me a question. She said, would you be comfortable doing training? And with my education background, I said, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I took that part into the work that I did. But at the same time, the clinical psych degree allowed me to start seeing people individually. So I had two jobs in one place, you know, the training side of it and the counseling side. And the counseling side was really critical to my human resources job because I saw people in a totally different light. You know, um, I was able to get to know the employees on a totally different level so that when it came time, I could make recommendations to the rest of the people on the senior management team about changes and shifts that we really could make to make the workplace the kind of place that I thought it could be, where particularly frontline employees felt welcomed, that they felt valued, that they felt that their contribution was absolutely critical to how well we did as an organization. So I can see my journey step by step, you know, from teaching to psychology to human resources as just being part of what I call this big plan, mm -hmm. the big God plan. That's what I call it in terms of, of what I was supposed to be doing to make the world a better place in my own way. Yeah, I can. Um, that's really how I feel about my own work as well. I think people are sometimes afraid to make a change because they think this is what they're supposed to be doing. We get locked into this one job or, or career. When I, I was a very good teacher and I love teaching and I trained teachers and did a lot of work in that. Um, but I always knew there was something else too. And sometimes I think it's hard to let go of of what we used to be, those labels we put on ourselves and just embrace all of the new changes because it is all part of the big plan. I mean, leading up to this very podcast today, I, I feel like it's all been a strange and kind of wonderful plan. I agree, absolutely. Yeah. And, and some of the times that wasn't an easy decision to make. Mm -hmm. um, I was brokenhearted that I couldn't find a teaching position because I love teaching so much. So I just took this leap of faith that here was a job, you know, an employee assistance where I could use both of my talents. Mm -hmm. And that tra transition wasn't always easy. 
But for me, if I was in a position where I was face to face with people and the work that I was doing could make life easier for them, could make them open up to possibilities, then that's the place that I needed to be. And the same thing happened when, um, when I took the job in human resources. Um, my then boss said to me, he said, you're going to struggle a little with keeping the organization in mind and keeping the people that you care so much about in mind. You know, that's, that's a line you're gonna have to learn, learn to walk. And that was very true, you know, finding that balance. Um, and even to the point where one of the things in human resources is we had to fire people. Mm -hmm. That had to happen mm -hmm. and, and for all kinds of good reasons. But for me, it was, well, how do we do this with grace and dignity? How do we do this so that someone understands the reason that they're being terminated, you know? Um, so all of that stuff kind of comes out of the struggle as well. Yeah. You know, I had a pastor one time say to me, and I've, I've carried this with me forever, I've learned to delight in the struggle. Mm -hmm. And really you could think of your work there as maybe helping someone accept being terminated and going on to a whole new career path. Whereas if someone who wasn't caring or didn't have those skills, really those life skills and people skills, it can really affect a lot of lives when, when people are let go from a job. And it's something that we don't really think about. It's an important position. I was really lucky <clears throat> in one sense because on a number of occasions, because the community I live in is small, you're bound to run into to somebody. Mm -hmm. And on, on, I would say four or five separate occasions, someone that I was responsible for terminating came up to me and gave me a hug and said, thank you. Mm -hmm. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. I didn't belong in that position or whatever the reason was that, that they came to see, you know, that how instructive and how good that awful event was. Yeah. So that was always really helpful for me. Now that didn't happen all the time, but <laughs> you know, on a number of occasions it did. Yeah, even if it only happened a few times, it's, it's worth it, right? Mm-hmm. So you became an author in your 70s. Can you talk about that process? Um, you know, you decided you had material for a book. How did you gather it? How did you communicate with um, publishing and, and the process of that? Well, I will say this frequently. I know when I don't know. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I knew I had taken all these notes from my dad um, he would say things that I thought were not on the mark, so I would do research. So I had not only his notes, but all the research and background material that I'd done. So I had a first draft, and I decided that I could go one of two ways. I could go traditional publishing, or I could go independent publishing. Mm -hmm. And my father would say to me over the phone, when I asked him how he was doing, he said, well, I'm still on this side of the grass. <laughs> so 
wanting to still be on this side of the grass and see a book in my hand, I did some research into independent publishing. Who, what, when, where, why? How to do it well, how to not do it, you know? Um, I also uh, read about the legal side of self-publishing because I didn't want to do eventually something that would get me into trouble. Well, having that background information, I interviewed four different companies in terms of taking on the work that I had done. And by the way, at this point, it had been through its third rewrite. So um, I interviewed four companies, um, Bonnie Stafford Wagner, or Wagner Stafford, I, now I'm gonna get confused. But anyway, she was the one who listened to me. She was the one who made me feel like I really had something. Um, she was the one who gave me the sense that I was on the right track. So that's the company, Ingenium Books, that I decided to work with. And what Bonnie did was she read my draft very carefully. She took it and threw it in a blender and tossed it back to me and said, this is what I think you need to do with this. Now she has all kinds of background in reporting and uh, crafting writing. So I sat down and did a total rewrite. And what came out of that is the book Flying with Dad. Okay. And I can say that given when I, I'll go back to this, when I know what I don't know, relying on somebody to point me in the right direction, I'm really proud of what I've written. I'm proud of how it looks. I'm proud of how it reads. So having, having that partner. So that's, that's my journey. Very nice. And you went on to write a second book, correct? I did. I did. Flying with Dad, as a background, it talks about how in terms of our family structure, Dad and I were distant. That's the first section. Section number two is dad's experience in the war and thereafter, written in his voice. Because I had all of his letters to my mother during the war. Uh, okay. Then the third section is how the writing of the book gave me the father that I always wanted. And he got a daughter that he didn't know he had. And I was with him for his final journey. And that's an important piece because when people read Flying With Dad, oftentimes they'll come back to me and say, how could you let your dad go? How could you call the emergency room and say there's a, a do not resuscitate order on his medical record? Get it to the, the emergency room because they're bringing him in. The uh, EMTs have been working on dad. The emergency room doctor called the EMTs and said, you can stop. And so in essence, the gift that I gave my father was honoring his wish to be taken out of his house feet first. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, again, the anecdotal things that I was getting from people was how did you do that? So the second book came from that. And it's a memoir about how I became very comfortable talking to people about death and dying. Hmm. Um, in the retirement community, 
there were residents that I got close to who would say, I want to go. And I would sit and listen and ask questions. And I never said, oh, don't say that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just asked them to open up with their story. I was able to do that with my mother and my father. So there's this comfort level that I have in talking about death and dying. And my wish for the second book, which is called Dying with Dad, Tough Talks for Easier Endings, is that people who read it will be open to having discussions with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. It's amazing and, what comes out of ideas. You were just writing his stories, but then this whole other world opened up. <clears throat> totally opened up. Um, people ha- who have read Dying with Dad have said to me, you know, my parents have come to me and said they wanted to talk about the end of end times. And, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. Or a very older gentleman said to me, you know, it's not something I've ever thought about before, but it's something that I need to do. So it's happened both ways that younger folks are now interested in talking to their parents and loved ones. And older folks are interested in opening up and sharing those kinds of things. So I don't grieve the loss of my father the way I grieve the loss of many others. And that's because I was able to be there and make sure that his wishes were honored. So there's this grace, this peace that I have, that I could be instrumental in helping him to go the way he wanted to. And the soft, sweet smile on his face when they put him into the ambulance to take him to the emergency room to be pronounced, told me everything I needed to know. He was where he wanted to be. It happened the way he wanted it to happen. So there's such a joy when I think of that. Now, yes, there's the grieving part. And yes, I miss him. And would I have him back here in a heartbeat? Absolutely. There are so many questions I didn't get to ask him. Uh, But at the same time, it's this what, what I call the divine paradox. That I had to do something very difficult to have such a glorious ending for both dad and I. Yeah. Do you think that this will lead you to more work with people um, in death and dying, like hospice work or, or something like that? Have you ever thought about something along those lines? When I retired from my HR job, I took training as a hospice volunteer oh. and was able to sit with one or two people as they went through that process. So um, absolutely, I see the book being relevant to hospice. I see the relevant being the book being relevant to doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see the book being relevant to even a broader spectrum of, of people. To In psychology, we have this saying, there's an elephant in the living room Mm-hmm. and nobody's willing to talk about it, that that will be something that will begin to take care of, that will be more comfortable talking about death and dying. In a movie, 
that I saw recently. I hope I'm quoting this accurately, but the character said that in America, people think about death as a failure. When it's something that we're all going to face, you know, sure. no one gets out of here. So if there's anything that this book can do and that I can do to help make that transition different, mm -hmm. that there's a quality to it and, and not the kind of angst. Um, I lost my brother in 1978. Mm. He was killed in an automobile accident. We never had that conversation. He was only 26. So you don't think about having those yeah. conversations with someone so young. But I remember so heartfelt the way it felt when we were in the uh, funeral home, when we were thinking about the mass for Mark. What would he have wanted? What would have been a good send off? Um, and the same for my mother. She died alone in the hospital in this sterile place. What would she have wanted? Mm -hmm. Now, she and I did talk about her wanting to go. And I said to her at the time, it's okay, mom. I know you're not happy. I know you're not doing what you want to do. I know you're in a lot of pain. Talk to God. It's between the two of you. I will miss you like crazy. But go when go if that's what you need to do. So I had that conversation, but did she want to die in a sterile hospital? I don't know that, you know, what I do know with dad is he wanted to go feet first out of his own home, that he wanted a high mass, that he wanted my husband, who has a glorious tenor voice, to sing the Ave Maria, the Lord's Prayer, and Amazing Grace. He wanted us children or grandchildren to pick the readings. He did not want people to stand up and talk to him at the service. He said to me when I was doing the five wishes with him, and that's the document that he and I did, that if they didn't say it to his face, then he didn't want to hear it at the funeral. So when my brother and sister and I sat down with the priest, my brother said to Father Gramada, he said, I don't know how this goes. You tell us. And I said, I do know. And so I said all of the things that I just now said, you know, this is what dad wanted. And so the funeral was this glorious celebration in the way that he wanted it to be, even to the point that the Air Force hymn was played as the casket was being removed. Very nice. So I want to ask you one or two more questions before our time here is up. Um, this is just something that I think is interesting for women who are listening to the podcast. I know I like to, to listen to, to these, um, I guess, routines and schedules as well, but do you have a typical kind of day in the life of an author? What is your life like now? Are there any routines you hold sacred? I find a lot of similarities in, in some of the routines of women that I talk to. By my very nature, I'm a tangential thinker. And so my schedule is not necessarily, I do this 
all the time this day. I do this all the time that day. Um, I do start my morning off, particularly in summer, with a walk. And during that walk, the first half of it is a time of prayer. And then the second half of it is listening to a book, an audio book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how I start my day. But my day revolves around some of the things that I have to have scheduled, like today. You know, I knew I had to schedule 11 o'clock. So what did I need to get done before? All right. So it, it's kind of haphazard, but it's a schedule nonetheless. Um, some people work better with an hour by hour. And, and this is what I do. I don't necessarily work like that. I think it's one of the, the reasons that I enjoyed teaching and employee assistance work and then human resources so much is because I never knew what was going to happen at any given moment. I just had to be able to shift. And I like that kind of variability. Uh, but, but how I do it, I know, wouldn't necessarily work for someone else. But yeah. if it does work for you that way, then that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I like the, the different shifts and I tend to look at the big blocks of things that I have to do. And then um, where can I fit the other things in around that? And I like that it changes every day. It's kind of fun. I do make a list of things to do mm-hmm. so that when I do sit down, I know what amount of time I have and then I know what really needs to be done. So, so I kind of put the brakes on myself by having a list yeah yeah I do too I always I always have that list it's sitting right next to me so the second question I had and of course you have your own books and we'll we'll get your website up there um, in the notes at the pod on the podcast so that people can find it and and hopefully read your books but A question that I ask every guest I have is, are there any books that you would recommend for women who are thinking of maybe changing a career or thinking of fulfilling a life's purpose that they've always wanted to do? Anything that helped you along the way that you read? In Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled. It's a book that I go back to every now and again, but it was, it was really important because it opens with something like this. Life is difficult. And once you accept the fact that life is difficult, it no longer matters. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's a book. Um, What color is my parachute? which is definitely a book about changing careers and and what you need to do. But the other thing I think about if it's possible is to see a career counselor, Mm -hmm. you know, to get some of the testing, the wonderful testing that's out there that can help you pinpoint what your strengths are. Yeah. And, and maybe not so much books, but to think about what do I love doing? Yeah. What trips my trigger? What makes me feel fulfilled? Mm-hmm. What makes me feel like I'm contributing? And I think about a housekeeper that we had at the retirement community. And I asked her one day, I said, what is it about the work that you do that really 
helps you to stay engaged? And her answer was this. She said, I'm a marketer. She said, I make this place look good. And so that when anybody comes in, they see this bright, shining place that'll be a good place for their loved one to stay. So it doesn't, it, a housekeeping person having this kind of depth in terms of what her purpose was, mm -hmm. it can come in all kinds of different directions and all kinds of careers. Yeah, that's a great example. Well, Yvonne, I have really enjoyed talking to you and hearing your story and about your, your life's journey. And I hope there are many more stories to come. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I'll of course share your website if you can tell us where we can find you online. Um, ingeniumbooks.com is my website. Um, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about an app that I am loving. I use Audible nearly every day. I listen to Audible books while I am taking walks in the woods, while I'm working out at the gym, and even while I'm driving in the car. A few books that I'm reading right now simultaneously are North by Scott Jurek, which is a book about an ultra runner. And um, I'm reading it strictly for the story of his running the Appalachian Trail and overcoming different challenges. And I'm reading Why We Get Sick by Benjamin Bickman. There are so many books that I have lined up to read. In addition, as you've noticed in all of our podcasts, I ask every guest we have what books they would recommend based on the topic we're discussing. So I really wanted to partner with Audible and I'm so happy I'm able to, to offer you a free trial. So what is Audible? Well, Audible lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one place. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. It offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. I happen to love mysteries as well as self-help and motivation and memoirs. You can find a little of everything you love to read. You'll find exclusive Audible originals from top celebrities, renowned experts, and really just some exciting new voices in audio. So Audible also includes thousands of podcasts from popular favorites to exclusive new series. So as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including latest bestsellers and new releases. So with this trial, you can, as a new member, try Audible free, for 30 days. It is an amazing offer. All you have to do is go to the link that I have down in the show notes, www.audibletrial.com backslash read with Carrie, all one word, all lowercase letters. Okay. Thanks for listening in back to our podcast. Uh, my email is fairly simple. It's Yvonne at YvonneCaputo.com. So those are the, the two ways off the top of my head that I can be reached. Okay, great. So we will put that in the show notes and hopefully your um, book will get out there and people will read your story in more detail. So thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you.